0: The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight the issues that matter in the way they matter and at the time they matter. If that is your goal, that is your aspiration, well, this is your only destination. See our podcast, your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Monday, the 21st of November, Thanksgiving weekend. And we are already thankful for the slower news cycle. And the fact that Congress is out of town. I mean, this lame duck session is so scary with the Democrats emboldened and the Uniparty operating as strongly as ever. They were about to pass gay marriage. Well, it gives us another week to pray and strategize on that. And honestly, there are so many other things that they could potentially pass in the coming two to three weeks that requires a lot of vigilance. But either way... We are focused on the wrong issues, the wrong people, the wrong bodies of government. As I noted before, it's state legislatures that matter. Medical freedom is really the biggest issue, but there's many more. Except it's a non-issue for Republicans. I'm looking at the news, and it's all about Hunter Biden's laptop now. And again, if you investigate that issue properly... It will tie back into medical freedom, transhumanism, Ukraine, and all the things Republicans were frankly bad on and to this day are still bad on. But then again, because they are still bad on it, that's precisely why those investigations will never land in the proper destination. They'll all be about personal politics, and it's never going to work out well for Republicans and certainly for us if they were to focus relentlessly on medical freedom. Medical outcomes just for the public. Investigating biomedical fascism. You know, the biggest thing I found uh, in this Harvard-Harris poll, a lot of people were circulating about what people want from a GOP Congress. They asked about all sorts of investigations. And the one that scored the highest was investigating the origins of COVID. Because that's about what actually killed people, what's continuing to kill people. And like I told you, it's not just about the origin of COVID, but that will really reveal the origin of covid fascism because the two were created together for the same purpose and the origin of many more things they have coming down the pipeline both the ailment and the treatment for it and here we have this rsv uh epidemic now and we're going to keep having this notice that now we're in the era of food shortages energy shortages medicine shortages and medical emergencies. That's pretty bad. <laughs> these ain't your days of fighting over, you know, social security and tax rates. I wish we can go back to that. So we're gonna have on. We haven't had him for a while, Dr. Pierre Corey, um, to talk about the future of the FLCC, uh, treatment, medical freedom movement. Some of the things we talked a lot about last year. But first, I do want to talk about some of these political issues. I find just amazing to understand where the Republican Party is. And in it, you shouldn't feel bad about Republicans not having won an election, but you should feel bad about not focusing where the leverage matters. The good news is, we didn't lose anything anyway. What would you have won? They're passing gay marriage even without Democrats having 60 votes. And just to start with that, even before we get to the 12 Republicans who voted for cloture, but even the ones that are most vocally opposing it, so Senator Mike Lee, he put out on Twitter a letter he circulated around, we still have time to protect religious liberty, we're asking our colleagues to support my amendment. And he has a bunch of people on his religious liberty amendment, and he basically notes that if they would adopt his amendment, he would support the bill, redefining the building block of civilization through statute. Now, I understand you could say it's a strategy that really deep down he doesn't support it, but he knows that they would never pass the bill with such an amendment because it would crush their um, agenda on religious liberty. Maybe. Maybe. But the point is, this is, what, this is why we continue losing, because we agree to the premise of the other side. Oh, it's about religious liberty. Folks, it's not about religious liberty. That's a side problem, a big problem, but a side problem nonetheless. It's as I noted last week, it's about civilization. You are teaching civilization, codifying into law, that there's an equal way of getting married. What does that do to a generation? Nah, Daniel, it's not a big deal. Eh, it won't be a big deal. Well, maybe we could have said that 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but now we see it is a big deal with 21% of all Gen Z individuals, and that seems to get more every year, identifying as something that is going to confuse them and won't allow them to procreate. That's a pretty big deal for a civilization. So, again, even the biggest conservatives... We can't stand around one of the most auspicious issues. Most important issues, really. Now, I don't mean to beat up on Mike Lee today. That wasn't my plan, but it just kind of came out this way. And I say this because he has one of the highest Liberty scores. And still, this is from Breitbart. Report Senate Republicans start amnesty talks with DACA illegal aliens. So here we are, and this is what we have to watch out with during the lame-duck session. Everyone agrees no matter what, Republicans did better with Hispanic voters. So clearly this is, not a, this is not an issue, but Republicans still haven't gotten off of it. According to Politico, Senators John Cornyn, Mike Lee, Mike Rounds, and Pat Toomey held meetings with DACA illegal aliens to discuss amnesty plans. Around 300 DACA recipients met in Washington with those senators. It's funny, we can't get a meeting on medical freedom with them, but somehow illegal aliens are able to get a meeting with senators including Mike Lee to pass DACA amnesty, give them green cards during the lame duck session, so we gotta watch out for that. But but this is Mike Lee. Like, what the heck? Everywhere you turn... Republicans are subversive. So it's not a secret as to why this same party went along with COVID, went along with Ukraine, to this day, is going along with with, with the vaccines. Here's another important thing about Congress. From Politico, GOP centrists prepare to flex our muscles. Conservatives have made their demands known to Kevin McCarthy as he rounds up votes for a speaker. Now centrists are next in line. The unexpectedly small majority McCarthy will be working with next year as he seeks to top gavel has undoubtedly bolstered the leverage of his right flank. But the House Freedom Caucus's vocal criticism is drowning out clear signals from some members of his more moderate wing. They say McCarthy should know that any deal with rebellious conservatives could face resistance from centrists. Kevin's not stupid, said Representative Dave Joyce from Ohio who leads the centrist Republican Governance Group. He's trying to add to his numbers, not destroy his base. And so I count on his political acumen to know what's acceptable to rank and file uh, inside the conference. And they go on to talk about how Representatives Fitzpatrick, a Republican, and Josh from a Democrat from New Jersey, the problem solvers co-chiefs. Met for dinner last week and talked about hospital rules changes to help ensure their roughly fifty members next year are more unified and therefore more powerful on the floor next year. Among them, guidelines to endorse only bills that are bipartisan when introduced. And I was thinking, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing—a problem solvers caucus. Well, count me among them. As you well know, I'm not a partisan hack. I, I don't. I'm, I consider myself an independent. I'm all about. Problem solving. In fact, this show is more policy and solution oriented than any talk show really in the country. It's all about policy. So I'm, I'm all for that. But it's kind of an interesting thing about this centrist caucus. I was thinking, wait a minute. We're talking about how Republicans have a narrow majority and it is potentially vulnerable to any rebellion from the right or from the centrist. But that got me thinking, well, you know what's interesting? Republicans are likely going to have roughly the same slim majority as Democrats had the last two years. How come there was never any talk about centrist Democrats on the so-called right goalpost of the Democrat Party uh, posing the same challenge to Pelosi as the ones in the center-left goalpost of the GOP Posing for McCarthy. It's a very interesting thing. And this problem solvers caucus, they're like, we only want bipartisan legislation. Well, gee, that seemed to never be a problem when it came to the new Green Deal, which was only supported by Democrats, never had bipartisan support. Isn't that interesting that we never found this problem when Democrats had this narrow majority? I'm all for bipartisanship. I hate party hacks. I think we should all come together, put aside pharma, put aside special interests, and do what's right. But how come the Democrats were able to pass the most radical legislation when they were in control? And to the extent that they didn't pass more, it was only because of the filibuster in the Senate, not because of the problem solvers caucus in the House. And the answer is very simple. Because it's all a ruse. It's not a matter of problem solvers. It's all a ruse to destroy conservatism, never to temper the left. And the only way it's able to gain a foothold is because they have partners in the Republican Party that are fake, whereas the guys doing it in the Democrat Party aren't fake Democrats. They only surface when it comes to a Republican majority. Again, the Democrat Party is real. The Republican Party is fake. Now, folks, one way to stop supporting this oligarchy is to support America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, our sponsor today, Patriot Mobile. It's hard to grasp why anyone would keep voting for record inflation, keep voting for crime, voting for open borders. And people are wondering, how did so many people in the country do that? Well, likewise, why would anyone keep funding the left by sticking with the big carriers, uh, Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT&T that spy on you? Right now, when you try Patriot Mobile for two months, they have a new deal where you could get your third month free, plus get free activation. They offer the full spectrum of nationwide coverage. They use the same cell towers as everyone else, all three major carriers, so you can get the same service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their 100% U.S.-based customer service team at 972Patriot. If you're fed up with the woke that don't care about your values and actually subvert your values, make the switch today and get a free month of service plus free activation. patriotmobile.com slash CR. That's patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972Patriot to stop funding those who hate you. So one more uh, piece of information on this fake GOP majority. This is from nationalfile.com. GOP establishment leader and Speaker of the House pretender Kevin McCarthy used FTX cash to defeat conservatives in 2022. Gee, it all comes together. Turns out that millions of dollars worth of campaign money came straight... From corrupt crypto exchange FTX and its top executives. Along for the ride on McCarthy's scheme, where GOP lobbyist Jeff Miller, described as one of McCarthy's closest friends, and Brian Walsh, an establishment strategist who McCarthy brought on to take down Madison Cawthorn after the young representative blew the whistle on DC drug use. By the way, Brian Walsh was a longtime uh, uh, McConnell leader, he was a former McConnell uh, chief of staff, for those of you who don't know that. And, um, Turns out that that uh, a major donor to both McCarthy's own operation and other groups backing McCarthy's favorite candidates was um, 700000 came from Ryan uh, Salem, an executive at Cryptocurrencies Exchange, FTX. And yeah, there you go, folks. So how do you fight an army with weapons made by your side where the bullet comes out the opposite side. I mean, that's the problem. The leadership is all part of this. They're all part of this. And what are we supposed to do? Keep this up? And by the way, Trump endorsed almost all these incumbents. Fun fact, in 2020, with Trump on the ballot, it was the only year ever... Not a single GOP congressman went down in a primary because Trump endorsed all them, all the incumbents. So we're not rectifying anything. So I don't have much hope for this. I'm going to lay down the markers. I'm going to try to get people introduced bills and try to engage in the budget fights, try to get hearings into things that matter. But at the end of the day, it's the states. The states is where it all matters. And the top issue is still medical freedom. Did you j- just to understand how bad things are? Can you imagine a virus raging that they created, of course, and you have something as simple as vitamin D that you know could save lives. You know half the country is deficient. You know, supermajority of the country could use a, a boost at a minimum. Meaning deficient is usually defined as below thirty but most people are below 50 and should be above 50. That's a nanograms per milliliter of blood. And it turns out we now have 99 treatment and 139 sufficiency studies showing a positive association with COVID outcomes and vitamin D. But there's a big study that finally came out. Nothing new to you guys, but it is published by prestigious uh you know researchers the lead one being from hopkins published in um one of nature's most prestigious peer reviewed journals it's a uh, scientific uh reports with a p value of 0. 0.0001 massive ser- massive um study of 220,000 VA patients, retrospective cohort study. And the top line numbers are you know, 28% lower chance of testing positive for COVID if they supplemented with D2, 20% lower if they supplemented with D3. But the more important number, which is mortality, um, was a 33% reduction in mortality um, supplementing with D3. And and this is before getting into ivermectin, nitazoxan, hydroxychloroquine, all the other anticoagulants and antivirals, anti-inflammatories. Just one simple thing that has so many other benefits. Anyway, um, you know we're talking about a RSV and a flu wave, and this works to modulate the immune response against every respiratory virus. We have all of these incentives for pediatricians to slam kids with poison shots and juice them up with all sorts of vaccines but no incentive to take vitamin d levels most people don't even know your kids vitamin d levels your own vitamin d levels that should be the most important number that should be the greatest obsession testing for covid no testing for vitamin d what's your number 20 30 50 70 that's everything and again, the 33% reduction in mortality doesn't even do it justice because what was clear is it was dose dependence. So they showed how the greater the dose was, the greater the outcome. But the outcomes they only showed were for, for contracting the virus. So in other words, they found a 49% reduction in contracting COVID from 50,000 IUs that were given to the person. Again, I don't go out and take fifty thousand IU's a day. It's more four or five thousand IU's a day with hundred micrograms K two. Um, but the point is that at the 50, is for those that really need it, you, that you have your levels are below twenty. You got to get it up. You got to get it up quickly. We talked about the develop D dot um, They have active form D that that juices up your levels three times quicker. Had this been the obsession in all the nursing homes from day one, what's clear is it would have been much higher because, again, the high dose was a 49% reduction in infection. So for um, mortality, it would have been well over 50 with high dose. And, and, And the broader point is what this study doesn't show but other studies have, and it hints to the fact, is that if your level is above 50 at the time, you are um you are hit with covid then and you want to then compare that to those below 20 it could be a 90% reduction who knows i mean we've had before there was this israeli study that showed um 25% of hospitalized covid patients with vitamin D deficiency died compared to just 3% of those who weren't deficient. So you're talking about that was like an 8.3 fold reduction. So that actually is, you know, getting towards a 80, 90% reduction. So the Israeli survey actually, actually found that. And those with deficiency in that study were also 14 times more likely to end up with severe or critical condition. So that's, that's actually a much greater showing. I think that's more telling. The reason why this is important is because it's in a prestigious journal, prestigious researchers. I mean, heck, the Bloomberg School of Hopkins Medical School is on this. And it has a p-value up the wazoo, because of its high sample size, you know lot of times they'll say, "Oh, not enough of a sample size. Here it is, And yet, name me one red state Department of health that rather than promoting this garbage with the mRNA poison will will we'll focus on vitamin D. Now, I know Florida is Latipo has talked about vitamin D, it's on their website, and again. There's no reason why it wouldn't help with RSV and the flu as well. So this is one of the most unbelievable things that to this day, two and a half years into this, 99 treatment studies, 139 sufficiency studies, and they will not talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room taking every kid from the time they're born and getting their levels as high as possible. What's the strategy with that? How many infections would be prevented? How many days of school missed? How many days of work missed for those who are older? How many hospitalizations precluded? And how many deaths precluded? No talk about that. No talk whatsoever. And the reason is very simple. The reason they don't talk about vitamin D as a solution is the same reason they created the virus. Well, they created it because they want people to die, so obviously they're going to block the treatment. And again, where is the promise of the GOP House to investigate this? But my point is, there's nothing stopping state legislatures from mandating the Department of Health put their money and research and recommendations into this and preclude them from recommending poison. Remember, the Departments of Health in your state, they're not autonomous. They work for the governor. So first of all, if you have a Republican governor, there's no reason they should be promoting this garbage anyway. But the governors are frauds. But certainly in the legislatures, this stuff needs to be done. And again, I'm, I'm working. This is my number one thing. I'm working in as many states as possible with legislatures I know, with uh, influencers I know, to push a 10-point, 15-point plan on medical freedom, and it's not just medical freedom. I mean, this is the pro-life issue of our time. If you could count yourself as someone who is passionate um, about stopping abortion, th- this issue is times 100 because it affects all of us. You know, none of us are getting abortions, but we can't avoid getting these viruses that are unleashed on us from the you know deficiencies created in the immune system, from the shots, from gain-of-function... From denial treatments and all sorts of other ailments, cancers, everything. We don't know where to go, who to go to, to find good doctors because of the insurance government pharma cartel destroying healthcare, destroying reasoned clinical experience, reasoned research like any other product should you know, product and service should be based on, on just straight up research and development. It is all, all of this stuff is being stifled. Poison is being proliferated upon us while good ideas are being stifled. So again, some of these numbers are vitamin D alone. Before we get into any fancy protocols and treatments, what would have been the outcomes had people's D levels been above 50 from day one? Then again, what would have been the outcome without the vaccines creating viral immune escape and making the, vaccine, the virus more virulent in 2021? Then again, what would have been the outcome had we actually banned the gain-of-function treatment or research? And that needs to be done. Ban with a full cause of action, civil and criminal, against anyone who engages in it. And to me, there's nothing stopping states from doing that as well. Keep that in mind that while the liability protection is on the vaccines, to my knowledge, there is nothing stopping a state. And half the states getting together and saying, Hey, anyone within the state, any institution, you know, a lot of these, you know, big red states have big research institutions that are caught engaging in gain of function research. Um, we can bring criminal and civil civil causes of action against them from a state-level government. Private people could have a cause of action. Attorney General could bring a criminal cause of action. Nothing's stopping them. But anyway, more reason why this is such an important issue. We can't let this go. For the month of July in Iceland, one of the most compliant nations with the shots, very high vaccination rate, the excess mortality rate is 56% above the five-year average. Why? Why? Next piece of news, ivermectin. The government is now claiming, so if you remember uh, Dr. Mary Telly Bowden, Dr. Merrick, and I apologize, as a third doctor on the lawsuit. They're suing uh, the CDC and NIH for an FDA for, for recommending against ivermectin um, and harming their patients. They're now walking it back in court in, in, a, in a court case. They're saying, no, 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 we didn't recommend against it. It's not true. Not true. We didn't recommend. We we never stopped it. Well, because of what you did, a bunch of pharmacies stopped prescribing it, stopped um, dispensing it. They weren't prescribing. Doctors were prescribing. And so many people died because of that. But, it's, but I find it interesting they're starting to walk it back because it's indefensible. And again, we've talked about this before, Uh, A study, uh, someone recently did an analysis on this. We talk about dose dependency. Um, It turned out once Delta came, which is the viral mini escape of the vaccine, you needed a much higher dose. So a lot of people weren't doing the higher dose. If you would have done a higher dose, and we know you can go much higher because of cancer research. Oh, whoops. I forgot about that, too. Why aren't we researching ivermectin for certain cancers? Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Too many people are dying from that shouldn't be dying from if we would actually research this. Why it's so important we get involved with this at a state level. But anyway, dose dependency really does matter with this stuff. But doctors, because they felt they were on such a short leash with this, with this, they, they, they really lowballed all of this. But we could have done even better. So that's with that. Next thing. UK Guardian. A study from the American Psychological Association published this week found that 6 in 10 psychologists no longer have openings for new patients. The shortage comes as demand for therapy soars. Since the beginning of the pandemic, about three-quarters of practitioners have seen their waiting lists expand. In the same period, almost 80% of practitioners report an increase in patients with anxiety disorders. 66% have seen an increase in those needing treatment for depression. So, we, we, you know, we talk about the death toll of the gain of function of the vaccines, of denial of treatment, uh, you know, probably one and a half million in the United States alone, um, tens of millions throughout the world. But then you think of the people surviving, what they did to people, what they did to a generation of children that were going to pay for for the rest of their lives and that all could have been prevented with things like vitamin D supplementation. Had the vitamin D become the new mask, had, had testing your D levels been the new COVID test, or instead of it, wow, think about what could have been avoided. The Rise of the Fourth Reich. Again, if you haven't gotten a pre-order of Stephen and my book, um, trialsandexecution.com. This really does call for trials and execution. So, folks, it is getting a little late, and I want to get our special guest. Obviously, Dr. Corey, was one of the stars of our shows in 2021 into early 2022, uh, as the virus did wane, and it was less of an emergency just to get people treatment. We focused more on other things, other issues. But at the end of the day, I still can't move on from this issue. Because at the end of the day, what we now know is that we are sicker than ever as a people, largely because of the COVID shots, but also just being lied to for so many years from big government and big pharma. For example, today there's there's a big article out today on how we were lied to about Fake studies that meat, or that red meat is bad for you. Just one example. But it's, it's everywhere. And more people than ever are immunocompromised, have autoimmune di- d- diseases, the cancers are out of control, the vaccine injury is out of control, they're shoving more vaccines on, and as they create more ailments, and as things like RSV suspiciously proliferate, they have an RSV shot right around the corner next year... Now more than ever, we need medical freedom. We need freedom-minded doctors that care about life and facts and care and aren't greedy SOBs tied in with the system to succeed, and we need access to them. So this whole war on medical freedom really still is the top issue. We need to fight it at the state and federal level. Really, at the state level, is even more important. So with us today to discuss this and so much more is none other than Dr. Corey himself. Pierre, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Hey, Daniel. Good to be here.
1: All righty. So obviously, you're the co-founder of the FLCC. Um, I do want to point out you have your own telehealth practice. A lot of you guys are still calling me, but hey, what do I do about all these uh, long COVID ailments, long vaccine ailments? So DrPierreCorey.com is the place to go. I want to start off with what you're seeing with RSV because I saw you tweet out about your 12 year old daughter, and I have my my two year old daughter just got RSV. Um, I saw, you know, at it, it CNBC, seven times greater rate of admission to the hospital with RSV in 2022 compared to 2018. What in the world is going on with this?
0: Yeah. So it's not just um, RSV, right? It's right now it's RSV and flu. COVID is really hard to get a sense of just because of the, the huge amount of home testing, right? So when you look at the official numbers, you know, that are being reported out of uh, hospitals and pharmacies, I mean, they are much less than there's the COVID. So is. I don't think it's actually, I think it's hard to get a sense of how much COVID is out there. But yeah, I'm definitely seeing people sick who are COVID negative. Um, The home tests, you know, they're they're not very sensitive, but there's a lot of flu in RSV, right? So my daughter just came down with RSV. The hospitalizations, right? um, Because you don't really want to follow cases because cases really are dependent on testing. And what's interesting about uh, the testing for RSV is the positivity rate is similar to prior years. So it's not like there's more RSV. It's just that it's more severe, and it's hitting um, kids and adults much more severely. The RSV rates for flu, I mean, the the RSV hospitalization rates are up sevenfold. Now, keep in mind, Daniel, right now we're in, we just finished weeks 40 to 45, and when you look at those weeks in prior years, we're sevenfold above all the prior years. This this is
1: still preseason game.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So when you look at these graphs, you're looking like the edge of a mountain. Like we're just going up this slope. When you look over the next uh, five, 10 weeks, I mean, who knows what's to come? And I don't want to be fear mongering here, but the early season rates of hospitalization are high. And that's for flu and RSV in adults and children, mostly over 65. And then, you know, the younger kids. And so it's a really bad flu and RSV season. And that's not unexpected, right? Because, we just embarked on a global mass vaccination campaign, which we sped into with very little thought. There's no brakes on it, no safety controls, and very little thoughts as to what the secondary consequences are. And then you could apply that to almost every pandemic policy, <laughs> right? Almost an ignoring yep. of downstream consequences. And because and it's hard to
1: tell how much concerned. of it is the shots. You know, we did see that in the Moderna Clinical trials at three age levels seem to show a small sample size, but certainly, you know, some showed a fourfold increase in respiratory viruses among the trial group. But then once it proliferates, maybe it gets everyone. But then there's also like my daughter's two and a half and she's a pandemic baby. was born April 2020, uh, 2020. you know, wasn't really around people. Maybe now she is. But what the heck? Your daughter's 12. I I never heard of a 12 year old getting
0: RSV. I know they did, but it wasn't so common. That's true. And you're seeing there. you're right. I mean, it's usually zero to two, you know, two to four, uh, and we're seeing increases in, in all those age ranges. And so, you know, the, the best, you know, we've, we've kind of like explored why we think this is, right? And there's a whole bunch of things that you could think about. Was it is this the delayed effect of lockdown? You know, less exposure to children. This is the first time they're seeing RSV. And I have to say, you know, looking through everything, it really looks like it's the vaccination campaign. We know vaccines mm-hmm. for respiratory viruses depress the response to other respiratory viruses. This has been well-known from flu shots. Those who get flu shots are at higher risk of other respiratory viruses. And I think that's, you're saying the same thing with COVID, right? It's, it's this original antigenic sin, which is, you know, mm. sort of skewing the immune system to look for a protein that's not there, and it can't defend itself against new viral proteins. And so it's really sad because, you know, we're going to get sicker now. Um again the, yes. the vaccines have been just a scourge. Um and so And and you're not I'm, just spitballing.
1: Balling. It's important that people realize yeah. that that the textbook original kind of case of original antigenic sin was from the failed RSV vaccine. RSV yeah. is very prone to being augmented from original antigenic sin.
0: Yep. There's no question. And we knew that from RSV, you know that from the, the flu. And now the flu it's It's suppressed. And it's like you said in your intro, Daniel, is that, you know, these lies that we talk about that we're all outraged by, you know, with COVID because they've just the scope and the scale of the lies have just been overwhelming. But, you know, one of the things I've studied in the last few years besides COVID is really the history of the corruption and control of medicine by pharmaceutical and vaccination companies. This is not new. This is not new. They have been doing and they've been promoting vaccines on very little evidence of safety and efficacy. And they've been doing this for decades. And they've covered up lots and lots of scams around medicines. They've suppressed effective repurposed cancer treatments. I mean, the war on repurposed drugs and this, you know, this this praying at the altar of these vaccines is causing a lot of health problems um, throughout society. And uh, my only hope, Dan, is that, The exposure to this corruption, as well as the history of the corruption, because it's not just new in COVID, you know, hopefully allows us to gain, you know, agency and understanding of how our health system, especially public health, has been co-opted by pharmaceutical companies. They don't care. They don't care. They just want to sell their products and they're making us sicker by doing it.
1: And what's scary that you said this has been going on for longer than we could think, I'd like to chalk it up, think, okay, it's this generation of folks are corrupt, but you wonder... See, we we're all born into this. Oh, this is natural. This is what it is, and this is what you do for it. But you know, it's been circulating around. The Children's Health the Health Defense Fund has been putting this out. Um, I don't know who's behind this, but but uh, Naked Emperor is a, is a very important substack. Yeah. you know, had uh, a, a theory that perhaps RSV came from a 1956 research um into a polio vaccine because it kind of just appeared then and i always took it as a given it was something natural we had to deal with but who knows i mean who knows the yeah. origin of this to begin with and that's what scares me and then next year guess what triple demic that's what they're using now they're, it's yeah. not a coincidence they're going to come out with a corona rsv flu vaccine
0: and, and Which is absurd. The RSV vaccine has already failed. I don't know why they, you know, I know why they think. They, this is a great business model. You know, fear mongering over these viral illnesses and then the promise of safety with these vaccines. And it's a lie. There's no safety with these vaccines. And I'm not even just talking about the toxicity from getting the shot. I'm talking about to your health. Your health will become worse with these vaccines. It definitely directly immune suppresses the body. That's why we're seeing all these reactivation of latent viruses. I mean, the, the evidence of, of immune suppression from these vaccines is overwhelming. And so, you know, it, it's it's brought forth as if it's some sort of savior or solution, and nobody talks about the downstream effects. And, you know, again, if you look at the history of vaccinate, childhood vaccinations, you know, they, they constantly will tout the control of these respiratory viruses and or polio. Meanwhile, pediatric health has exploded in <laughs> autoimmune diseases. You know, food allergies, ADHD, autism, and autism really is a vaccine-induced encephalopathy. There are some experts who literally that is their diagnosis. It's, you know, this explosion of autism completely parallels you know the massive rise in the childhood vaccine schedule, and and it has to stop. I mean, we have to reassess, take a look at what we're doing with yep. with, with managing the country and the children's health, and, and get a fresh look with people without conflicts of interest, a fresh objective
1: look, driven it- scientists. And I think it's so important every state needs to set up its own commission. And and no sacred cows, start from the beginning. And one thing, I don't know where the inquiry will take us, but I I, I want to get your thought on this. No matter what, shouldn't we abolish a concept of a childhood immunization schedule? I mean, do we have like a childhood um, antibiotic schedule, like, hey, uh, Dr. Corey, are you pro or anti-antibiotics? Well, I mean, there's never a one-size-fits-all that you take every oh. organism that's born and you give them 50 shots preemptively, regardless of their risk status for that ailment, their c- concerns of other things. Like, th- that alone is, we need to rethink that, right? There's no
0: question. And what we really need to rethink is rethink the entire body of evidence upon which this schedule is based. It's fraudulent and corrupted. I mean, the science has been corrupted around vaccines for many decades. I mean, take a look at measles, for instance. You know what the mortality rate of measles is for a child? It's one in 500,000. Yet we are vaccinating every child for decades now against uh, like a routine viral illness. Same thing with zoster, you know, uh, chicken pox. I mean, that actually builds immunity. It's helpful. When we you all
1: got vaccinated. chicken pox.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but now you have much more rates of shingles, reactivation, you know, mm. which happens more after you've been vaccinated than natural. I mean, when I was a kid, one of my brothers, I have two brothers, one of them got chicken pox. We all took a bath together. That's just what you did, right? Everyone got chicken pox at the same time, and then you had natural immunity. I mean, I mean there are different approaches to this. I mean, everything is like a solution and a syringe it it's it's yeah i I agree we, we really need to get a, an independent objective um, group of experts who've been studying not only the efficacy and safety of the vaccines which have never really been well studied but the but the secondary implications they don't want you to look at those secondary implications they just want more and more shots, and they have every interest in, in wanting that to happen and you know the pharmaceutical financial influence is governing how we take care of patients is just so overwhelming. And I think that's why, Daniel, you and I talk about this all the time. So many people, after their experiences in COVID, are now, they're scared of the system. They don't want to go to hospitals. They don't trust their doctors because they know their doctors are just going to parrot pharmaceutical company brochure stuff and public agency stuff. I know.
1: It's like, it's like th- this is what's scary. You know, no matter what, no matter how, it's like it's like camels drinking, you know, at, at the trough. Whatever slop is thrown in there, it doesn't yep. they, – they'll eat it up. You know, so when we went to the pediatrician, oh, well, next year there, there will be an RSV shot coming out, but it's not available yet. And I was thinking – I said to my wife, I wonder if the guy even knows the history behind it and if he even knows the word antibody-dependent disease enhancement, if he even understands yeah. the concept.
0: Yeah. Almost definitely he doesn't. And you know, let me let me be humble about this, Daniel. Up until COVID, I never had any doubt about the vaccines. I mean, I never had. I had never. I mean, I was deeply studied in lots of areas of medicine. I had a blind spot with vaccines. I thought they were the implicit backbone of pediatric health, and because that's what you're told in medical school. A one, you know, pediatricians are like robots. They are just vaccinating kids all throughout their childhood because they're taught to believe, and it's almost like a religion. And that religion is based on really bad science and yet it's pervasive. And so, you know, I, I to me, like what I've learned and, and watched, and especially the history of all this, that's the most damning thing is the history of corruption around vaccines and the suppression of cheap alternative, either re- repurposed drugs or natural approaches has been pervasive and really dark and deep for many decades in the United States and, and a lot of advanced health economies.
1: And that's the scab that, that I've been yelping about. Even the better yeah. Republicans, like, they're still kind of two years behind. So they're at like oh the no mandates. I'm like, well well that's not even the issue anymore. I mean I mean as bad as mandate it's like, hey, we have a bunch of, you know, hemlock where where the go the, the government is promoting endorsing spending money on no enlightened consent but maybe it's just shy of a mandate in most places but dude that that's that's not okay anymore like you got to really we have to rip off the scape so one of the things you're doing i really want to talk about this covid hopefully is on the mend um but we have many other things that seem to be coming out whether there's going to be more gain-of-function releases whether it's going to be a second uh a secondary effects of vaccines other things we we need treatment rsv is one of them So what's the future of the FLCC and what you're trying to accomplish? And could you talk, you know, in general and specifically what what you're doing with this RSV flu protocol?
0: What a a great question, because, you know, we have thought of ourselves strategically in the future. But I have to tell you, the present keeps smacking us in the face. And so we just keep responding to what we think are public health emergencies where there's a void of pragmatic, sound, guidance. And so what we've been working on for many months now is on the treatment of long-haul and vaccine injury, which is another epidemic. I mean, I see so many vaccine Mm. injured and I'm evolving my approaches. We're doing lots of research on it and I'm actually getting more and more success with my patients. I'm really, I'm kind of hitting a groove. I've been in practice now for nine months and certainly I've helped patients all along, but I'm, I'm, I'm just becoming much more skilled and impactful. And so, um, we've done a lot of work on that, but then I started to see these RSC and flu numbers. You know, we asked our analysts to look at it and it looks like it's really bad. And now one of the other beauties, you know, one of the few positives that came out of COVID is for instance, if you go to c19early.com, we have 43 effective antiviral mm-hmm. agents use against COVID, you know, all, I mean, from vitamin D to, you know, yep. mouthwash, and, you know, tons of different compounds. So Paul and I, We started doing a deep dive, looking for stuff that could be effective against flu and RSV. And we came up with a protocol. So that's another one. And we're still evolving it. We're looking at other compounds. And, you know, you mentioned my tweet. You know, my daughter, uh, Friday morning, 102 fever, shaking, looked like hell. I just, my spidey sense told me this was RSV, even though she's 12. Uh, She'd had COVID not too long ago. And I started her on the mainstay of our RSV protocol, which is a drug called nitazoxinide, which you know very well. Antiparasitic that has broad antivirals, and elderberry, which has a lot of data, data around it. You know, it's got a lot of anti-inflammatory, um, immune stimulating, as well as antiviral properties. I gave her one of each in the morning, and literally by that evening, she looked great. She was like dancing around the living room. I was like, wow. wow. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, little. Kids and, are, and this really is there. what like five hundred milligrams
1: twice a day of
0: nitazoxanide. Yeah. Yep. I gave her 500 milligrams twice a day and um, 500 milligrams of elderberry. That's the capsule I gave her. And, um, you know, along with some nasal sprays and mouthwashes, you know, to decrease the viral yes. load. And yes, you know, so I was pretty pleased with that. And I just saw someone right before this call, um, a patient of my older patient of my, who I had treated for COVID and he's pretty sick right now. I don't know what it is. He's COVID negative. I'm pretty sure it's probably the flu. Um, he's about 53. And, you know, I started him on, on, on the thing. Because those are also they're both RNA viruses and they both should be impacted by. There's a good. There's actually a good randomized controlled trial of nizoxanide against influenza. Um mm. it mark, it the market, reduced duration of symptoms.
1: Well, so and so so, so influenza is a DNA virus, right? Uh, influenza is RNA. Oh, RNA. So RNA. so, so uh, as well as RSV, it's also RNA. Yeah. So yeah. so So you're saying nizoxanide might be a bigger player than ivermectin with with things like that with RSV and flu. Yes.
0: Yes. And so that's. That's the other thing, Daniel, like, Ivermectin is a broad antiviral. There are in vitro studies where it, it mm. interrupted the replication of influenza. So we we don't have any clinical data on Ivermectin for flu, but we, I kind of thought it should work. The problem is the guy that I just saw, he started Ivermectin on Saturday, and he's still pretty sick and fevering. So I don't know. It's, it's an end of one. Um, so I, I, I don't know It's you know, we don't have clinical data yeah. on it, but it, he didn't seem to respond. And so I'm, I'm encouraged to see, you know, I started him on Nidazoxin on Elderberry just now. Um, Luckily, he had it at home, which is what I want everyone in America to have, is have the meds on hand because these viral illnesses are going around. And, and, you know, going back to that for a second, Dan, you know, all of this explosion and these viruses, you know, I think it's mostly direct immune suppression from all these people vaccinated, original antigenic sin. And so there's so much more circulating that it is hitting these kids. Um, mm. You know, at higher rates, even in age groups that aren't typically haven't been vaccinated, like zero to two. We vaccinated yes. very few of those. But because
1: those I'm are- I'm bothered by your daughter and, and 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 it's not just your daughter. We're seeing this in the data that my, my daughter would be the perfect age to pin it on lockdowns. But the problem mm-hmm. is a 12 year old should have already had RSV. I mean, you know, you shouldn't be seeing that if it were just from a lack of exposure.
0: Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, I just think that these are hitting people harder and they're getting more symptomatic infections. And there's, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's very hard to tease out exactly, but there's, there's a lot of, there's different theories as to why the vaccine, the mass vaccination could be causing. It's not just direct immune suppression of those vaccinated. There are even hypotheses that with children, you know, they actually have been shown to get antibodies to COVID Oh. Despite not vaccinated, even though their parents are. That's so a really good
1: parents, point. That's some, a really that, good point.
0: So some of these kids, although they themselves weren't vaccinated, if they're yes. in a household where parents were, you know, I'm not saying like that's exactly it, but these are really interesting. Hypotheses. No, we had a very
1: good study on that. Um, we actually did have a. There's a pretty strong study. I, I know what you're referring to, and I I can't remember the author, but. In other words, the, the evidence seems to show. Everyone asks, could it shed? Could it shed? The answer is, it seems like it probably doesn't proliferate as easily as the virus. But you you need more like intense, elongated contact, and that's what yep. you would see with a parent to a child, as opposed exactly. to just like you know, casually passing so on.
0: There's no question with the infants, of course. There's, there's constant physical and close contact, and so. Um, yeah, I mean th- that's it. These are all partly why we're seeing what we're seeing. But again, you know, we're on the uh, we're on like just the upslope of this season, and so um, I-, I hope it peters out. <laughs> but no, this you know, is very important. Here, these five weeks are just the beginning. I mean, yeah. So we'll see. So, we'll so see in but terms of
1: Nitazoxanide, I want people to know. Um, obviously, with standard of care for rotavirus, neurovirus for for young children in Brazil, so you do recommend this even for toddlers.
0: So, so that's so when we put out our protocol, you know, we we discussed whether we should have one for pediatrics, and I got to tell you, maybe just out of abundance of caution, but we didn't address kids. I noticed um, that. Yep. you, you know I. There you know, I'm not a pediatrician. I think most kids have a pediatrician. I don't think pediatricians would use nitizoxinide just because the agencies haven't told them to. It's not approved. Yes. You know, the usual nonsense, right? They're looking for guidance from, uh, they're, they're looking to follow rules. And those who write the rules don't want to use a repurposed drug for RSV. Um, you know, for most kids, it's mild. I, I don't really know how to address children, but no, um, Pierre, you, you,
1: know, I, you don't yeah. have to go. I, I know what you're trying to yeah. say. It, you're in a tough position because with COVID, it was easy because COVID, the entirety of the problem was not for kids. It was for adults. Right. And those are the people who are trying to, 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 to save. So it's like kids, whatever. Here, where it's, it, it, you know, although it is unusually affecting older people more than usual, but still is weighted towards kids. You know, so I'm getting a lot of these emails. Okay, Daniel, I looked at the FLCC protocol. What do I do for my kid? And and your right. point is, look, you guys are trying to grow. But at the end of the day, where you are fighting the entire medical world, you don't have your own money for your own clinical research. So you got to kind of pie the corner and and bite off what you feel you could safely assert.
0: Um, I it's mean... Yeah. yeah, And also, it's also like, our hopes are that, you know, with the credibility we have among some segments of the population, um, our organization, that, you know, like-minded and open-minded doctors will use their clinical judgment. Yes. And, you know, mid is used in children, like you said, for rotavirus and whatnot. So, I mean, it has the safety and usage record. And I'm just hoping that those, those pediatricians who, yep. you know, want to use a good risk-benefit judgment and treat kids early, um, I, I, would, I would champion them. Um, But I think it should be, you know, their their clinical judgment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say that when we were partnering with Seven Cells, they would not prescribe uh, ivermectin for children, but nitazoxanide they would, just because of that precedent, in, right in, in Brazil. Right. But
0: and your point is exactly correct. I mean, uh, I generally did not treat any kids during the pandemic, even though sometimes the parent who I was treating would ask me, and I would say, listen, you. I wouldn't directly treat the kid, but I'd give the parents some guidance if they wanted to. Most didn't treat their kids. Most, I mean, the kids. It was very mild. It was like any other respiratory virus. They got better. It was mild, and so it's not a problem. But RSV is leading to hospitalizations in the kids. So the, you know, the, the need for early treatment is probably much more important.
1: Now, l- let me just ask: Do you feel comfortable asserting? So, we know that povidone iodine. Uh, you know, with the clinical trials we see on on covid, uh, just logic would dictate that any respiratory virus that hangs out in that respiratory tract, it should be effective in reducing viral load and it should be worth using. Would you feel comfortable telling people with young kids, you know, assuming they feel comfortable and the kid doesn't mind sticking up up, up its nose? Is that something you would recommend or kind of still the, the jury's out on that?
0: If the kid can tolerate it, it's very safe. It's short-term use, um, well-tolerated in humans. I mean, it's very dilute, povidone iodine. It's vericidal. Um, I, I think it's a pragmatic approach to anyone sick with upper a, a respiratory uh, viral syndrome. Um, I, I don't I don't see any problems with it, um, not for short-term use, and if the kid can tolerate. It. Um, and like I said, it's going to decrease viral load. It's going to impact the trajectory, which is likely a less severe um, a less severe illness and a shortened illness. Um again, it's not a cure, but it's gonna it's gonna mitigate uh the impacts of the of the of the syndrome. And so it's it's so pragmatic and cheap and safe. Daniel, no one does it, right? <laughs> it, mean, it doesn't make that any back- sense to me. It doesn't
1: make any sense to me. <laughs> Why not? It has worked for me. I cannot tell you how many times I started getting a, a sore throat. And I just pound away at it because I can't afford to go on air. I do a lot of a lot of radio, and it just it just hurts my voice. Um, it is it is astounding. It is astounding. Just like the vitamin D is astounding. All of this is astounding. Uh, that we won't look into ivermectin and azoxine for certain cancers based on the preliminary research we have is astounding. All of this needs to be dealt with. We need a cultural yeah, okay. revolution. We need a medical revolution. Um, definitely keep us updated again. Dr.Pierrecorey vaccine injury, other ailments that you feel are vexing your doctors on handling. Um, are you taking more patients?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I have a partner and, and we're busy and uh you know, I, I find it, you know, it's it's challenging. Some of the patients are really complex and very sick, the vaccine injured that's come mm. to see me, but it's so satisfying. I mean, I'm literally learning every day um, new approaches, new mechanisms, uh, new therapies. And, you know, I got to tell you, some of these patients, they come to me literally disabled at 20 percent of functioning. And what do you mean by disabled? That,
1: what, what's like the most common they, thing?
0: They can't leave their house. They Why? have so many symptoms because almost any exertion flares their symptoms. That's number. That's probably the number one. So they have chronic fatigue, post-exertion malaise, brain fog, where they don't even feel like they can really work or engage, they have problems with concentration, lots of neuropathic symptoms, shock like feeling burning, tingling, and when they do exertion you know, or they try to exert themselves, everything gets worse um tinnitus gets worse and and or their fatigue is 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 you know uh renders them bedbound. And so you know they they come to me really when I say disabled, I mean they cannot participate in the f- activities they used to um and to get someone. Where their functioning really increases and they're able to participate, enjoy more, even work more, um, it's really satisfying for the patient as it is for me.
1: Wow. No, that's that's really important. Like I say, for anyone into pro-life activism, this is the biggest pro-life issue of our time, medical freedom, mm. fighting the greed and tyranny, uh, corruption in between pharma and big government that needs to be broken. Lives are on the line. Uh, quality of life is on the line. So many things. We really appreciate you keeping us update, updated and definitely keep us updated on what the FLCC has in, in, you know, in store for the future because there is a huge void for what you're doing.
0: Yeah, Dan, I just want to return the praise. I mean, your work in this and your attention on this issue and highlighting of it is we need more like you. I mean, you've been particularly deep on this issue, and thank you for that. I mean, people need to hear the truth, and the problem is, and I didn't know this as a doctor, as a system doctor, there's been just pervasive lies in numerous disease models on around many different therapies, and we need to expose them because we've we got to get healthier. we got to protect ourselves better than, than relying on, on the biopharmaceutical industrial complex. It literally is what it is, so thank you.
1: Number one issue. All righty, Dr. Corey, speak to you later. Take care.
0: Yep, thanks. Bye.
1: So again Dr. Pierre Cory, one of my favorite human beings alive. I mean just just wants to help people. And this is what we need. It always pains me one of the ways we see that our views are contaminated by having to be represented through the contaminated Republican Party is on every poll, Democrats beat Republicans on health care. And I never understood that. Well, I do understand that because they're pathetic. Imagine if we had a party built around medical freedom, busting the government pharma biomedical corruption. Um, This is the single biggest, most impactful thing. Like he says, it's not just just COVID and ivermectin. You know what I mean? It's so many maladies, so many drugs, so many issues. And... I, I think it's just important to recognize going forward that this is the biggest void in our lives. It always was, but now with all the bioterror they're unleashing on us, more than ever, we need, we need solutions, we need research. I also just love how he goes where the facts take him. He did not do the equivalent on ivermectin what the other side did on the mRNA or masks or lockdowns. He, you know... He felt it worked for a certain type, for a certain amount, whatever. And now with this, he's like, "Yeah, you know, with RSV flu, I, I, I think Nidazoxon is a bigger player. And he goes with that. It's wherever the evidence points. You know, people wanted to suggest they're putting hit pieces out, out on him. Oh, you know, yeah, he's earning a living off of this. But the reality is they go to where the evidence is. And he, like he said, he's always learning more, learning more every day. It's amazing how many doctors out there don't know anything. They start off with certain things as a given, a premise that's absolutely wrong, and the opposite is true. And then they build everything based on that, those erroneous premises, their entire way of looking at cancer, their, their, their entire modality of dealing or not dealing with um, viruses and respiratory viruses. These are definitely things that we are going to continue continue to focus on because, look, I don't know how much I could accomplish politically, but medically, there are still p- people willing to speak the truth. And, and look, if we could help people get proper treatment and get themselves healthier, that's certainly something – that I would call a win. That is the ultimate pro life issue of our time. We are going to have a, a definitely a truncated week uh, this week. I'm obviously going to be off Thursday, Friday, like everyone else. Um, but we are thankful for this quieter week so we could focus on more of this and not have this insanity in Congress uh, next week. Watch out, it's going to be a tough week. But anyway, till tomorrow, God bless y'all and thank you for listening.